Tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, Jeremiah chapter number 18, Jeremiah chapter number 18, I'm going to give you, and we're going to go several places maybe tonight together. Uh, Jade is hung up at work tonight, and so he texted me this afternoon, and we have been in the office most of the day looking and getting ready for the weekend and doing a deep dive in some other things, so we shifted gears this afternoon and just began to ask the Lord what it would be for us to share tonight. And uh, so this is where we landed. And uh, if the Lord would help us, uh, we'll do our best to hopefully encourage you as well as challenge you tonight with uh, where we are. If the Lord would help us for a few moments, I want to talk to us about the reviving of a nation. How many knows our nation is in trouble? Amen. And uh, there is... No magic wand, so to speak, uh, for there to be a correction, but there is an avenue for correction for any nation. And that's what we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, if you'd stand with me for honoring the word of the Lord very quickly, and then we're going to dive in together. Jeremiah chapter number 18, beginning in verse number one. I believe they'll have it on the screens as well. This is what we find. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. How many knows it's important to hear what God is saying? So then I went down to the potter's house and behold he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made again another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced Turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. At verse number seven again, and what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. For a few moments tonight, our subject is going to be the reviving of a nation. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the privilege to assemble in the middle of the week, Lord, to be edified, to be challenged, and even to be encouraged. Lord, today I pray for the Holy Spirit to anoint us as we speak for the next few moments. Let us have ears to hear tonight and hearts that are open, and we give you the praise and the glory. The church says amen. You may be seated. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord this evening. There's a couple of things I'd like to say at the very beginning of our time together. First of all, if there's ever going to be the reviving of a nation, there's going to have to be a few things that takes place. Number one is this, 
someone is going to have to acknowledge as well as repent for the sin of that nation. How do we know this? We find in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse number 4 that Nehemiah is a perfect example of what happens when you hear of a condition of something like a nation in a place of decay. We find that Nehemiah shows us in his personal life, he was the cupbearer to the king and he was in a place of comfort, he was in a place of rest. But when those came from the homeland, if you will, and he said, how is it with those that was in captivity? You will find it simply says that the gates are burned with fire, the walls are torn down, and we're in great reproach. And when he began to hear this, it says that he began to sit down and he wept and cried and fasted for many days. If you will listen, if you read through chapter number one of Nehemiah, you'll hear his prayer. And his prayer was the prayer of acknowledgement and his prayer was a prayer of repentance. And we find because of that, it began to set the stage for something miraculous to take place. The second thing that we need to understand tonight is this, that someone must be willing to step up and lead that nation back to a place of truth. Nehemiah is that example as well. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, you will find that he simply as he's sitting in the presence of the king, and he had never been sat in the presence of the king because he could have been killed for that. Uh, but when he walked in, he could not, because of the weight that he was under, put on a facade, if you will, that everything was okay. And the king said, what's the matter? I see that you're not sick. Uh, as far as in the physical realm, but what's weighing on you? If we was talking in modern day terms, and he said, how is it that I could not be heavy knowing the condition of the city of the sepulchers of my fathers that it's lying in waste? And he said, I've prayed if I have any favor with you that you would allow me, permit me to have letters to pass me over from here to there, but also that I might go and build it. How many knows that taking things back to a place of truth doesn't just happen, but it's a process. It's a process of labor, and it's also a process of love. Thirdly is this. We find that someone must be willing to put on a garment of complete surrender. This picture is found in Nehemiah chapter 2 as well, as I just alluded to just a moment ago. If Nehemiah went into the presence of the king in any other manner than been joyful, he was simply subject to death. But he had surrendered to the total weight and the call of the rebuilding of Jerusalem at that time in history. That he was willing to take his chances, if you will, much like Esther did after she had had a conversation with Mordecai when it wasn't her time to go before the king. But she went in and she put on the royal garments, prepared herself, and she experienced the golden scepter to be lifted out to her. What I'm saying tonight is this, the reviving of a nation does not just happen, but the reviving of a nation only happens and takes place when a man or a woman becomes willing to be the catalyst that is used to bring about the needed change. A nation will only revive after a man or a group of men or women experience one thing, and that is this, personal reformation. Our greatest need in America tonight is not another political leader. 
Our greatest need in America tonight is for the church within her to repent and to come back to a place where it is walking in alignments with the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter number 1 tonight. 1 Peter chapter number 1, we find that the key to bringing about the personal reformation for men and women, we find in this passage. And I want you to understand as you're turning there that personal reformation is the only thing that can bring about a corporate revival. And a corporate revival is the only thing that can bring about the reviving of a nation. First Peter chapter number 1, verse number 13, through the following. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loans of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, meaning here in reverence. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and the unfringed love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, favorably been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now you say, what does this really mean tonight? Notice with me. Reformation is the act of reforming. Or to reform simply means to form again. You and I today are in a place in this hour in which we find ourselves that we have to realize that just because new things are presented to us does not mean that they are better things. But over the last several years, many things have been presented to us and we have embraced them. When I say us, I'm talking about a church world. And we're coming to find out that after the newness wears off, it wasn't all that it cracked up to be because of number one, it did not line up with scripture. And therefore, we found that the foundation of it was not what it needed to be at all. We are in a place right now where we must once again return to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And if you're going to return to that, and if I was to ask the question tonight, do we need to return to the basic fundamentals of the faith? I believe most of you, if not all of you in this room, would say absolutely I agree with that. If that's the case, there has to be a return then to what we're reading in 1 Peter chapter number 1 means that there has to be a return to a place of holiness. And I know that when we begin to talk about holiness, that we, our minds begin to go in many different directions. But however, tonight let me remind you that if something is holy, it's not based in tradition, but if something is holy, it is a man or a woman or a person, a place or a thing that is set apart for the service of the Lord. Meaning this, it has given itself completely and wholly to walk in the statutes and the laws and the commandments of God. 
In order for holiness to be present, however, humanity must be willing to put on the mind of Christ. You and I cannot, in our own self, walk in a manner where we are walking holy before God. That's why we desperately need the power of the Lord in our life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24, the Bible is very clear. It says, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse number 27 of that same chapter says, neither give place to the devil And then verse number 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice with me, unless there is a willingness to take off the old man and to put on the new man, we can never walk in righteousness and we can never walk in holiness. But however, you say, well, is it really that important? If we are not men and women that are walking in righteousness and holiness, then we will never be the catalyst that can be used to bring about the reviving of a nation. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 18, where we began tonight, you will find that the prophet is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is simply saying, the Lord is bringing revelation concerning the house of Israel. He says, I have spoken of good things over you. However, that which I proclaimed over you is not able to come into existence because of the simple fact you have rebelled against my statutes and my commandments. And therefore, because of the walk of rebellion, therefore, there is not blessings in front of you but there's cursings in front of you. Now, the same can be said on the other hand, but he goes on when you read that together and you find it in its whole picture, you find that he makes this statement, but however, if a nation has done evil and it turns from that evil, then I will repent of the evil that I thought I was going to do to them. Or you could say it in this manner. If they will repent and turn back to me, then I will hold my hand from judgment against them and they will experience my blessing and my favor. Can I tell you tonight, we're in a place where our nation is definitely headed for a time of righteous judgment as well as many other nations in the world. However, we understand that sin is running rampant, but there has to be an awakening. We know that this awakening cannot take place outside of the walls of repentance. And we know this, that if we are ever going to truly repent, there has to be something that does not just penetrate our heart, but it also penetrates our mind. And when we began to look at this passage of scripture, I began to realize that right now, the greatest need, the thing that we should be praying for right now in America is this. We should be praying for a personal reformation to come to the mind of every man and woman of faith. Yes, we want to reach a harvest, but however, notice with me, you do not want to have a harvest of souls if you're going to bring them into a community that is mentally unstable. How many knows you love your children, right? You're not going to let just anybody watch your kids. So why is it that we're seeing such a resistance for the harvest? I firmly believe this, that we are not personally able to to care for at the level that God desires for us to care for his children. Because how many knows that when you give your life to the Lord, you become a babe in Christ. 
And then you begin a process of growth. Listen, there's a brand new baby. Man, I was the first one to hold him besides his mama yesterday, and I love that. That was awesome. But how many knows this? He's not able to fend for himself. Somebody's got to take care of him. He can't feed himself. He can't change himself. He can't tell you what he needs, what he wants. He's not at that level yet. But in just a few months, he'll be able to do what the others are doing, running wild, right? Because it's a growth process. But hear me today. He needs to be in the care of somebody that's going to care for his every need. And right now, we, the body of Christ, have to understand that we have lost our way in such a manner that we're no longer concerned about the infants, uh, but we're all self-serving if we're not careful. When I say all, I'm I'm using a, a large blanket there, I understand. But what I'm talking about the church in general in America is, listen, we talk about a lot of things, and we say a lot of the right things, but however, our mind has become so contaminated by half-truths uh, and we, go, we, we went along with this because it sounded good and it felt good but it doesn't pass the smell test in scripture. I want you to understand with me tonight that if we are going to be effective in the kingdom of God and if we are going to change a nation, if we're going to touch a world we're going to have to come back to a place where we are living in righteousness and holiness. Uh, I'm not talking about tradition. I'm not talking about legalism, but what I'm talking about is we got to come to a place where we're living upright before God and before man, even when nobody else is around. You and I today have to understand, uh, in order for holiness to be present, you and I have to first have an appetite to take off the old and to put on the new. Pastor Parsley made this statement many years ago. He said, if we are to prevent ourselves from being cast into the mold of this world's value system, we have to consciously examine the values of Scripture. In every area of your life, this is how you should judge your life. What does the Scripture say about it? Doesn't matter what everybody else around you is doing, but what does God say concerning that? How should I proceed in, 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 in this area of my life and in this area of my life? It should always go before the word of the Lord and say, what does God say about it? Because can I tell you, when our mind begins to be a mind that is like the, like the mind of Christ, the perspective changes drastically. You say, is it really important what I think? Proverbs 23 and 7 tells us that as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Talking about men and women. That which you're thinking in your heart, so is he. Can I tell you, you can have stinking thinking and still love Jesus. But it don't go together very well. You have to get to a place where you come back to the scripture and say, Lord, help me that my mind is right. Because you'll find out that when you get your mind right, then you can walk with blessing, you can walk with authority, but also you can walk with rest, you can walk with peace, and you can walk with an expectation that tomorrow's even going to be better than today. The first place that must be dealt with in our lives in personal reformation is the mind. How many knows the mind is a powerful thing? It's the devil's playground. And I will tell you that in our culture today, we have men and women that sit in a state of worry and they're so uptight because of what if, what if, what if. And I'm going to tell you something. The what ifs of your life, about 98% of them never happen. 
I'm preaching and teaching a whole lot better than you're shouting tonight, and that's okay. But I need you to hear me. You cannot walk in total freedom unless you have a personal reformation of your mind. Doesn't matter how pretty you sing. Doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can quote. What matters is that figuring out how to get what you retain here, here in such a manner that it comes back to here and you have a peace and a rest that you say, devil, you're not going to take my joy. You're not going to take my peace. You're not going to take my victory because I know in whom I believe. Hear me. We are made up of three essential parts, our mind, our, the will, and our emotions. But it all begins with the mind. The gospel message that transforms man first comes to man through his eyes and through his ears. That's why I will say this. Not what I'm going to teach on tonight, but I'm, I want to stop here just for a moment. That's why you should always safeguard your eye gate and your ear gate. Because what you listen to and what you see is what determines the condition of your mind. If you let the world feel this, if you let the world feel this, you're not going to walk in a manner where you are righteous and holy before God. Not everything can be named among us is what we're taught in Scripture. And I'm not saying that everything is bad. But I'm just saying just because it's not bad doesn't mean that it still needs to be part of your life. The thing is, is what level do you want to be with God? What level of peace do you want to have? What level of joy do you want to have? What level do you want to be instrumental in changing and reviving a nation where they can come back into alliance with the things of God? Listen, I, I, I know that in the old church, and I'm not, I'm not condemning the old church, uh, but everything was sin. But I'm going to tell you, just because you leave that place and you let that pendulum swing all the way over here, you can be just as balanced, out of balance over here as they was out of balance on some things there. There has to be some balance. Uh, and the balance comes uh, when a man or a woman understands it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to safeguard my eye gate and my ear gates. It's not just an intellectual message. But it's a message, and it's not a message of force. It's not an, a message of, of emotions. But you have to understand that God and the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He will never force his way into your life. Notice with me, you find in John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, he came unto his own. This is talking about Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but that was born of God. Listen, he's not going to force himself into your life and say, get your mind right. It's going to be have to something that you take the personal responsibility of. God persuades us with the truths of his word and shows us through the ability that he has given us for our ability to think for ourselves. This truth that he brings to us brings about and convinces us of our true condition, or you could say it this way, something that we don't talk a lot about in the church today, but we should talk about it even more, is this, is there's this thing that's called conviction. The reason we don't have a lot of conviction in the church is because the church has put away its Bible 
if you are sincerely going to the word of the Lord and you're going with a clear heart and an open mind and you're asking the Lord to speak to you and to teach you, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to your heart not to bring you to a place of rebuke and judgment, to to bring awareness to you, to let your mind come alive to what the will of the Lord is for your life. And therefore, he's doing that so that you can bring about the necessary change. If God removes or makes the request to remove something from your life, it's not because he's wanting to take something from you. He's trying to make room for something better in your life. Please hear me. There's better things. Yet even after salvation, notice with me, the greatest struggle for men and women is still found in the place of their mind. But in Romans chapter 7, 22 through 25, notice what Paul says. He says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Before I read any further, let me just pause for a moment. Paul gave us two-thirds of the New Testament writing. Paul is a man that had such an amazing encounter with God. He knew God was real. He was sold out for God. But he's writing in Romans chapter 7, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What he was simply saying is this, I have surrendered my life to the Lord. I know who he is. I've had an encounter with him. But he says, it is by the inward man that I know that God is who he says he is. But I also have this fleshly man that is always pulling against me. And what he's saying is this, I am in a constant tug of war between the spirit and the flesh. It's always fighting one another. And listen, I don't care if you serve God 50 years, you're never going to get rid of that. The only way you conquer that, however, is when you come back to what Paul writes and he simply says, when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What he's simply saying, I have been torn apart. I'm constantly in this struggle. But he says, then I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way he says I can walk in the victory that I have and the victory that I know is there for me is when I put my faith and trust in the Lord and I let him to renew my mind. Can I tell you today, what we desperately need is for men and women to understand this. He also writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Can I tell you tonight, if you and I are ever going to experience the reviving of a nation, this is something we have to experience in our lives. Personal reformation of the mind can only be had continually is when you understand how to spiritually fight the war that you're engaged in. So how do I fight this? I fight this by understanding that every thought that is not of God, I bring it into captivity, meaning this, I don't let it stay. I don't care how spiritual we are, evil thoughts or dark thoughts will enter into every mind that's in this room. That doesn't mean you're sinning. 
That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means that you're living in a fallen world and you have a fleshly body. But it means this, that you have to make a decision. If I am going to be the catalyst of change, I have to make sure that I'm always safeguarding my eye gate and my ear gate. I'm not letting this stuff stay in my life. I'm not letting it stay in my mind. But I'm going to bring it into captivity the moment that it comes. And then I'm going to cast it out. Because notice the Bible says that if we resist the devil, then he does what? He has to flee from us. So you and I need to understand tonight that if we are going to be catalysts that is used in this hour, in this season, we are going to have to take personal responsibility uh, for our lives. Uh, Listen, uh, I'm thankful for the prophet. I'm thankful for the teacher. I'm thankful for the pastor. I'm thankful for all the offices within the church. Uh, But it does not matter how many people you rub elbows with, so to speak, uh, they do not have the ability to let you walk around with a reformed mind. That is your personal responsibility. That's my personal responsibility. It's talking about being a man of God, a woman of God, meaning this, I have made up my mind that this is who I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to be, and nothing is going to stop me from doing that. Uh, Paul and many others knew the importance of this truth. Uh, Jesus himself, uh, you find in Matthew chapter 4, understood the importance of renewing his mind. Uh, If you look at the earth, going at the beginning of his ministry uh, we find that he goes into the wilderness uh, he's tempt, he, he's fasted for 40 days uh, the devil comes to tempt him and notice what he says repeatedly every time he begins to have this encounter it is written uh, he understood that the word was the power that was able to keep him in, in will in line with the will of the father you and I today we must realize today our lack of discipline and our Our lack of concern when it comes to reading and studying God's word is the reason that there is very little personal reformation taking place. Uh, I'm not saying that we're saved by work, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, But if you and I are truly men and women of God, then good works will follow us. Uh, You and I need to understand uh, that if we have a heart after God, we're going to have a heart for his word. Uh, And if we have a heart for his word, we're going to dig in and the Holy Spirit will do his job and we will experience a personal reformation of the mind. Proverbs 7 and 3 tells us uh, that the truths of scripture must be stored not only in our minds uh, as well as it must be written on the table of our heart. uh, Proverbs 7 and 3. But how many knows uh, that it cannot be written on the table of our heart uh, unless first it comes to our mind uh, and it can't come to our mind unless we're willingly taking the responsibility and putting it in our lives. Uh, Can I tell you today, it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to do it. But your flesh will always resist. How many's ever had this? I'm going to pray today and and, and I'm going to read today. But then you go get ready to pray and read and suddenly you begin so sleepy. It's because the flesh is continually fighting. Or your phone hasn't rang all day, but when you get ready to go have some alone time with God, guess what? 50 people want to call and talk about nothing. Hear me. What happens in most of those, condi- uh, in most of those scenarios? Here's what happens. We get frustrated and we don't stay disciplined, so therefore we won't read or we won't pray. We won't spend that time with God. We'll say, we'll do that tomorrow. 
And the enemy won that time because of the simple fact now your mind is not in the place that it was really needing to be. It's called a life of discipline, my friend. Too many of us within the church world for the last several years have relied upon what we've heard from the preacher, from the teacher, what have you. And we failed to get it for ourselves. Proverbs 7 and 2 tells us this. Keep my commandment and live. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of their eyes. You know what should be the most precious thing in your life? Should be the word of God. Doesn't mean you have to read 50 chapters a day. That's not what I'm saying. Don't take it out of context. But this should be one of the most precious things. Outside of your personal relationship with Christ. Your salvation, his word, should be the most precious thing that you and I possess in our lives. When we do not know the word of God, the question has to be asked, how can we walk according to it? We can't. We must know. We must possess. You and I cannot live a life that is obedient to the ways of God with a closed Bible, is what the former the late Charles Stanley said, and I believe that to be true. There must be a change in this hour concerning the people of faith. What kind of change am I talking about? Paul said it better than I could. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to ask you today, are we willing to allow his word to transform our minds? You say, is it really that important? I believe that it is. I mentioned on Sunday that in Germany, that the first sermon by AI was delivered. Come to find out there were several hundred people that gathered for that. Artificial intelligence created its own sermon. And its sermon basically, and I thought it very ironic, it ministered, if you want to use that word, it ministered on the thought that you don't really need to fear death. I thought, how ironic. Can I tell you today, when we will have hundreds of men and women of faith, I'll put that in quotations, that's willing to sit in a room and listen to the workings of an antichrist spirit teach them that you do not need to fear death, we need to have a mind renewing take place because it's not an isolated deal, but it's spreading like wildfire today. Can I tell you, we are in a place that our nation has never been in its history. We have went through challenging times and difficult times as a nation, but we have never been here before. And I take you back to Jeremiah 18 where we started. Because can I tell you what the prophet was saying concerning Israel rings true to our nation today. 
just like the Lord had a plan for Israel and still does. He had a plan and he allowed and he permitted for the United States of America to be founded. We've been founded differently than any other nation in the history of the world. Our purpose is to be a place for him to be exalted and lifted high. Our nation, our founding fathers understood, and it's so ironic, I read recently that when Franklin and the others had just signed the Constitution, they walked outside and there was a lady that walked out and met Mr. Franklin, said, Mr. Franklin, what have you given us today? Because they didn't even really know what was happening. They didn't understand because it had never been done before in the history of the world. They said, have you given us a monarchy or have you given us a republic? And this is what Mr. Franklin said when he looked at her. He looked at her and he said, Madam, we have given you a republic if you can keep it. If you can keep it. Can I tell you, 200 and some years later, we're on the verge of losing it. And I'm not saying that in doom and gloom. And I'm telling you, we're not losing it because of politicians. We're not losing it because of evil men. We're losing it because there's a church within her that is in a place that I would consider to be a backslidden state. And we do not value and we do not understand the importance of having a renewed mind. We do not understand the importance of having a personal reformation. Listen, you want revival in this nation. I believe everybody would raise their hand in this room and say, I want America to be revived. Yes, I do. Here's how it's going to happen. It's not going to be through elections. It's not going to be through anything like that. It will be through a man or a woman that will take a pencil and draw a circle around them and say, God, renew the mind that's in the circle. Now, my question is, do you have an appetite for that? Or are we in a place still where we have been rocked to sleep? Listen, I love having good church services. So please don't take what I'm getting ready to say out of content. But we are so drunk on having good church services that we don't understand the importance of having a reformed mind. Listen, you can have a good church service and still be miserable. You can have a good church service and feel good for an hour and a half, two hours. You can have a three-day revival and think, man, it's all together lovely. But then the fifth day, you're simply right back to where you was because you did not take the responsibility of having a personal reformation of your mind. Listen, this is not an emotional high. Listen, there's emotions in it, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you today, emotions will not bring revival. Emotion will, will, uh, emotion will not bring us to the level where God wants us to be. Yes, there will, that will be part of the process, absolutely, when we go through it. But I'm here to tell you, there cannot be a true, genuine spiritual awakening in any nation without true repentance. And there could not be true repentance without there a been a personal reformation of the mind of men and women that says you know what we can't continue as we are and on a Wednesday night I want to tell you this we can't continue as we are and I'm not saying that we're bad I'm just saying we can't continue as we are I celebrate the good things I celebrate the increase I celebrate the goodness of God I celebrate the the message that I got today of a man coming to know the Lord through 
through uncertainty. And I, I, I celebrate how God is moving, but I'm going to tell you something. There is more than what we're seeing, but it only comes when there's personal reformation of the mind. Tonight, i got to challenge us on a Wednesday evening. And that's what Peter was doing when he was writing 1 Peter, 2 Peter. He was simply writing to the believers to tell them. He was giving them instructions. He said, listen, if you're going to walk in holiness, or if you're going to walk in power, rather, he said, here's what you got to do. You got to understand the value of holiness. You got to understand the value of purity. And you got to understand the value of living a submissive life in the things of God. There is no shortcut to this thing. Listen, there is no five-hour energy drink, so to speak, spiritually, to get you to where you need to be. Nor is there any special ingredient that can get you to lose five pounds overnight, so to speak. This is a life of discipline. This is a life of dedication. This is a life that will bring, yes, opposition, misunderstanding even at times but it is a life that can bring about the reviving of a nation you say do I have that ability if Madison wants to come and play something softly do I really have that ability within myself can I tell you within us tonight is the ability to change the world you and I cannot do it in ourselves not at all but we have to come back to understand this Peter's beginning to write the very beginning of this epistle. And he simply says, you need to gird up the loans of your mind. You need to be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can I ask all of us this question tonight? How well do you know him? Not asking, do you know of him? Not asking that. We all know of him in this room. As I look around tonight, all of us have heard the messages. We've sat in his presence at times. We've experienced his blessings. But how well do you know him? How much revelation do you have of him? It's amazing when you can get intimate with the Lord. I'll give you a personal testimony. When you can begin to talk to the Lord, it changes everything. I'm talking about when you get rid of all the vows and these and get rid of all the religious rhetoric and you just are kind of bare and open before the Lord and you just say, God, I need you. Or you just walk through the day and you just begin to have conversation with him. Most of you are aware that we have, over the last few months, we've walked through a lot of things with some of our family and lots of just ups and downs with a lot of individuals and a lot of just hardships, even with a lot of folks in the church. And just, and sometimes those things can get weighty and we're all human, right? And I found myself continually just trying to be positive and trying to just minister and encourage and try to be there wherever I needed to be 
But as I began to walk through some things with Debbie's family and the uncertainty, and none of us likes to hear that big C word, cancer, and it's touched all of us in some way, shape, or form in our families and our lives. How many knows that the enemy will always try to bring this tormenting spirit to try to get you to think in ways you probably shouldn't think? You have to safeguard and you have to fight continually. And I was just walking and praying and praying and seeking the Lord. And to be very honest, the, the Lord was just cultivating in my spirit and but at the same time, there was this thing speaking into my mind, negative things. And I was in this battle. And over the last, I tell you, over the last year, over a year, I had, I had a spot on the top of my head. I hadn't really talked about it. And it just, it wouldn't heal. So the enemy sat there, just continues, just starts beating me up these things just started happening on the top of my head hadn't even really told Debbie until recently and I said you know I think I think I'm going to have to go do something because it's just not right and the enemy just sitting there sitting there and I said Lord I, I, I know you're I, I know you, you, what your word says and I, I know who you are and And this has been going on for some time. And then out of the blue, just about two weeks ago, I just had not an audible voice, but a voice in my spirit. Simply say, do you trust me? Do you believe me? And I said, Lord, I trust you and I believe you. I believe your word. And I can't really describe it other than the fact, and he says, then if you really trust and believe my word, then why don't you let me just fix it? And I said, okay, God, I'm going to believe your word and I'm just going to trust you. And can I tell you that I simply got my mind right, had personal reformation in my mind in that moment. And I simply, I took my hand and laid on my head and said, Lord, I thank you for doing what needs to be done. And that was it. And can I tell you, I woke up the next morning and everything, I would tell you to look at it, but I got so much hair up there, you can't see it, right? But that which had been there for a year was gone overnight. And I stand and I say, God, I give you praise and glory for it. And I share that to tell, and maybe that's not a big deal to you, but it was a big deal to me because the simple fact is the enemy telling you continually, it could be this or it could be that, or it's probably this and it's probably that. And it was a tormenting spirit that was trying to get a hold of my life. And I had to have a personal reformation in my mind. And when I got my mind right, notice this. It was then that I could walk into a place of victory and healing. And I want to say to you tonight, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you find yourself dealing with, 
Our God is concerned about our well-being. And if we're ever going to be effective in the reviving of a nation or the reviving of a family or reviving of a community, it will only happen once we get to a place where our minds has been renewed and refreshed by his word and by his spirit. So tonight, I encourage you. I encourage you to understand what was said in Jeremiah chapter 18. The Lord says, that which you're seeing manifested in the natural is what I want to do in the spirit. You may see it marred. You may see it broken. You may see it not effective. But he says, if you'll let me mold you and make you, I can do to you and with you all that needs to be done. But it can only be done when we have a mind that is right. Tonight, I want to encourage you. Let's get our mind right so that we can change a nation, so we can change a family, that we can change a culture as we stand all over the house this evening. The reviving of a nation. Someone must acknowledge. Someone must step up and lead. Someone must be willing. I wonder tonight, are we willing to put on that garment of surrender and trust God? Nehemiah said, I'll go. Peter said, I'll go. John said, I'll go. Paul said, I'll go. The list goes on and on of men and women that said, I'll go throughout the years. But they said, I'll go only when their mind was right. Tonight, I challenge us. I challenge us. You say, is it really that important? I want to give you this last verse, and then we're going to pray together. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse number 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Is it possible that we don't have the peace and we don't have the wind of life because we have yet to have our mind? renewed just a question tonight why does it have to be because the carnal mind in verse 7 tells us that it is the enemy against God it is the conflict that's against God and it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can it be and those that are in the flesh they cannot please God which takes us back to 1 Peter it says be ye holy for I am holy. Our, our focus, our commitment, our passion must once again be, Lord, help us to walk upright and righteous and holy before you. And if we'll do that, our mind will be right. Let us pray together tonight. Can we do so? Dear Heavenly Father, today, Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be in your house on a Wednesday evening. Lord, I thank you for the attention of the men and women in this room tonight. Lord, I thank you that your word has went forth by 
power of your Holy Spirit in such a manner that it did not just penetrate our ears, but it's penetrated our hearts tonight. And Lord, our heart is for our nation as well as the nations of the world. Our heart is for our families and our community. Oh, that they would experience you and your love and your grace and your mercy. Oh, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But Lord, today we know this, that you have given us a commission. You have given us a charge, and it's our responsibility. Lord, your word tells us very clearly that it's not four months to harvest, but now if we look, the the fields are ripe and they are ready. And the Lord of the harvest is willing, but the laborers are somewhat absent. Lord, the reason for that we know as we look through your word is because of the, the lack of the personal reformation of the mind of men and women. So today, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for making it about things that it's not supposed to be about. But Lord, I ask that you would forgive us as men and women of faith for not having a clear mind at times and for losing our focus and going after other things other than what you have commissioned us to. So today, Father, we stand corporately and as individuals and as a corporate body, we say, Lord, forgive us tonight. If in any way possible that we have been lack in our assignment and our obligation and our responsibility. Lord, today we ask that every man, woman, boy, girl, every family that's represented here tonight, that there would just be a sweetness of your Holy Spirit that would settle down and that that thing that is trying to take their peace and their rest and their joy, that thing that's trying to bring torment to them, Lord, we speak to that and we command that in the name of Jesus to be far from them, to be removed from them. And Lord, we speak words of life and words of freedom and words of victory over them. And Lord, I pray that they would understand tonight that you're wooing them by your Holy Spirit to come to your word because, Lord, you're asking us to sit at your table. And Lord, I pray that as they would go to your table, when they would sit down at your word and they would begin to spend that time of devotion with you, Lord, I pray that there would be a visitation. Lord, that there would begin to be revelation. That there would begin to be an impartation by your Holy Spirit where lives would be forever changed and transformed. Lord, I pray for a refilling and a refreshing of the Holy Spirit to come to every man, every woman, every boy and girl under our voice tonight. I pray you would continue to lead us, guide us, and direct us as we continue to follow after you. But, Lord, we pray for every mind to be renewed tonight. Lord, I pray as their mind is renewed that they would begin to claim the promises of God, that they would begin to walk in the hope of your scripture, the hope of your word, and they begin to proclaim the things that you said is theirs. And, Lord, by faith, let them bring them into their realm And Lord, let them begin to walk in a new level, a new dimension of your spirit. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. Now, Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us the remainder of this week. Lord, continue to do the work in the lives of men and women that needs to be done. Help us to walk in the places that you have called us to. 
Lord, give us wisdom, give us knowledge, give us understanding concerning the things that set before us the remainder of this week. Bring us back this Father's Day on Sunday morning. And Lord, I pray, bring us in ready to worship. Lord, I pray that men all across this nation will be drawn to the house of God this coming Sunday. Lord, I pray that there would be a message delivered from the platforms in America that would be ministering to the hearts of fathers. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. And the church says, amen and amen.